Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Wednesday, March 1st. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy March. Only 19 more days until spring. So it's great to be with you this morning here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Wednesdays, I always take a moment to remind you to pray to St. Joseph, the husband of our Blessed Mother Mary and the foster father of Jesus. He's a powerful intercessor. Go to Joseph, especially during this month of March, which is dedicated to St. Joseph. I want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines on this uh, Wednesday morning, uh, first day of March? Well, the new mayor in Chicago, Lori Lightfoot, not reelected. The election will go to a runoff now coming up in April between Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis and Cook County Commissioner and Chicago Teachers Union Organization uh, organizer uh, Brandon Johnson. Uh, Lightfoot finished third, actually, with less than 20 percent of the vote. First time in about 40 years the mayor has not been reelected. Yeah, uh, Glenn, you got to go all the way back uh, to Jane Byrne, the last time that an incumbent uh, lost in Chicago. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, feelings uh, in, in this, a lot of passion uh, about this mayoral uh, race uh, because uh, crime has been such a big issue here in the last few years. And, and so uh, it, uh, it'll be very interesting to see uh, how this runoff uh, coming up in April uh, works out between Paul um, uh, Vallis and uh, Brandon Johnson, uh, who have two totally different uh, approaches and, and philosophies. Uh, it'll be super interesting. Well, let's hope uh, some work and success can be done in terms of uh, battling crime. Definitely necessary. There's no question about it. There's been nearly a 60% increase in just murders alone um, under uh, Lori Lightfoot. So, yes, uh, a change is absolutely needed. Elsewhere at the Supreme Court, arguments were heard yesterday, oral arguments about uh, President Biden's $400 billion plan to pay off a whole bunch of student loan debts. The government arguing that, well, it was okay to do that because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, Those who are challenging that that ruling saying the president really can't just, with the signature of a pen on their own, spend $400 billion. And uh, at issue, uh, again, uh, the constitutionality, uh, whether or not the president of the United States has the authority to do this with uh, uh, a signature. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by, uh, you know, his presidential declaration there. They can do a lot of things, but uh, some see that going as a little bit too far. And uh, also the charges that this was just done under the guise of uh, the COVID pandemic. Others more uh, cynically see it as an attempt to, to buy votes. And not to mention, uh, you know, the, the people who feel strongly that uh, it's it's not fair uh, to people who perhaps didn't go to college and uh, had nothing to do uh, with financing the people who have. Or those that did uh, take out loans and, and pay them off as well. Exactly. Uh, meanwhile, we have a heartwarming story, a doggy story this morning. 
Now, when you got your doggy, did you was it an adopted dog, or you just got one from the doggy store, or what was the origin of uh, your little barky guy there? Uh, my little barky guy, Blaze the Beagle, uh, literally landed on our laps at Beagle Fest uh, here in suburban Chicago. Uh, can you imagine a festival with about 300 beagles on hand, all of them howling? <laughs> we were there. There were a few that were up for adoption, and I saw this little guy, and I'm like, that's our guy right there. And uh, oh, he's man. been part of the family uh, ever since, and as I've said, he even participated in the family rosary across America at night. He's a good boy. We had a cat for a long time, and then my wife has kind of recovered from the loss of that cat. So every time there's a cute cat picture, it's like, look at this one. And uh, there's a family that drove 1,200 miles to adopt a dog. They're from Seattle, and they saw a picture, only just a picture, of a husky with a facial deformity. So it had kind of a lopsided grin. This family from Seattle drove all the way down to San Diego to pick up the dog. Uh, they only saw it in pictures. Harvey the Husky caught the family's eye. They saw a post of him on the San Diego Humane Society social media site. Saw that silly grin and knew they, they had to have that dog. So 1,200-mile road trip. Let's hope the dog uh, liked to, to ride in the car, huh? <laughs> Sounds like love at first bark. But I, what I do like about this is they you know they don't know anything about this dog, and they felt confident enough in bringing the dog home that long in the car with just meeting <laughs> him. You'd think you'd have to take a few stops to play at the park and throw some sticks and bones and kind of you know work the legs out and stuff just to kind of you know get to know it. you got to take some time to know each other and stuff like that. It's not something you can just jump into, but I'm, I'm glad for Harvey uh, and I'm glad for this family. I wonder if this family has had a history of uh, having huskies uh, in the past. Because one thing I've noticed is oftentimes families uh, stay with the same breed. You know, mm -hmm. if they love labs, they get labs. Uh, we're a beagle family, uh, but, uh, you know, huskies are really cute too. Well, they've got those great eyes quite often, too. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Great story. Uh, all the best to Harvey the Husky. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Yeah, sure thing, uh, as always, we start every morning always in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings. Every day is a gift. And we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, Patroness of the Unborn and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now, even though we are midway through this first full week of Lent, there is still time to elevate your Lent this year. In just a few minutes each day with Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. They are jam-packed with interesting facts and teachings to help you learn more about the Mass and your faith. See why these bite-sized videos had over a million views 
just last year. You can sign up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. Uh, you can do it this morning at relevantradio.com Lent. Get ready to learn the Mass, live the Mass, and love the Mass more than ever before, as Father Rocky has said so many times. And the good news is they're absolutely free. That's relevantradio.com Lent. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Morning Air Show, and you can always shoot us an email directly uh, with your thoughts or, or comments, morningair at relevantradio.com. And again, our number, if you want to be part of the program this morning, 888 Now, if you're a coffee lover uh, like this reporter is, uh, and you use stevia in your coffee or in keto diets, uh, listen up, folks. Uh, According to a new study, a sugar replacement called erythritol uh, is used, which is used to add bulk uh, or a, a sweeten stevia, uh, monk fruit and keto reduced sugar products. It's been linked, according to this study, uh, to blood clotting, stroke, heart attack, and death. Here's a medical uh, a doctor, uh, Dhruv Kular, a contributor to The New Yorker uh, on CNN. So erythritol is an artificial sweetener that a lot of people uh, use, and it's really gained popularity in the last couple of years. That's in part because it looks like sugar, it tastes like sugar, but it doesn't have any of the calories, and it doesn't affect our blood glucose levels. And so a lot of people with medical conditions like diabetes tend to use it. But this new study shows that people with higher levels of erythritol in their blood, they had much higher risk of stroke, heart attack, and other cardiac problems. And so there's real concern here. They think that the mechanism might be that it activates our platelets. And so it kind of causes our blood to, to clot, and that can cause all sorts of downstream problems. Now joining us live from Springfield, Illinois, is Catholic author and clinical uh, psychologist uh, Dr. Kevin Vost to, to discuss both the zero-calorie uh, sweetener study and how fasting and abstinence can help build our body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Vost obtained his doctorate in clinical psychology. He's taught at schools including uh, the University of Illinois at Springfield and Aquinas College in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, he has written more than 20 Catholic books, including How to Think Like Aquinas, and his most recent book, You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness. Good morning, Dr. Vos. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again. Well, same here. Thanks so much for having me on and for bringing this particular study on the erythritol uh, to my attention. Well, I tell you what, it caught my attention because, uh, you know, I, I have two cups of coffee uh, by about uh, uh, four o'clock in the morning to get ready to, to, to be fully woken up to be here in the morning every day. And so, um, you know, although I don't put stevia in my coffee, I know a lot of folks do. I, I do occasionally uh, use stevia in hot chocolate, which I gave up for Lent. But, uh, you know, this is something that's in play, and I'm sure it's uh, on the minds of a lot of people since this study uh, just came out, and uh, it's in the news this morning. Uh, yes, exactly. And erythritol itself, I mean, it is a natural substance. It's in some fruits, fermented products. Our bodies actually produce some from sugar, but in very, very small amounts. Nothing like what we would take in, you know, for using this as a, a sugar substitute. So I read this, the original study myself, and I mean, it, it's impressive. It's not definitive, but, it, but it's something to be taken very, very seriously. But I would want to point out one thing for people who do enjoy stevia uh, or monk fruit, things like that. Many of the major brands do use erythritol to give bulk and to make it have the kind of the texture of sugar. But there are also forms out there of stevia and monk fruit that do not 
use erythritol at all. So, so it is possible to avoid it if you want to still use stevia, monk fruit, things like that. You just need to carefully read the uh, ingredient list. But, but yeah, the unfortunate thing is, yeah, this study showed that people who had measured levels of erythritol in their bloodstream that were in the top 25% of this thousands of people they studied, yeah, had like twice the risk of things like heart attack, stroke, which they said is pretty comparable to the additional risks that you get from diabetes. You know, and ironically, many people use these sugar replacements because they want to help alleviate or avoid diabetes. But I will just say one thing. Uh, if you're concerned enough to, to avoid erythritol, it, it is possible to have some other sweeteners that do not have it added. Yeah, obviously this is a, a little concerning, um, but uh, it's not definitive. And uh, and so um, I think just to be prudent, uh, one should probably be looking for stevia that's 100% pure, as my wife uh, reminded me last night. Yeah, and that's my take. You know, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a psychological doctor. It's not medical advice, but that was my own take on it. I decided that more research needs to be done, as those researchers themselves said. But to me, their findings seem significant enough to, to, to try to avoid it, because not only did they have this, you know, correlational study of human beings, but they did some additional laboratory studies showing, well, why might this happen? And they found that uh, erythritol tended to make red blood cells clot much more than normal. So there's also what's called a mechanistic reason to think why why this could be a real phenomenon. So, so for that reason, yeah, I will personally probably be trying to avoid it. And I think it's always a good idea to uh, read the labels the best that you can. Um, Dr. Vos, can you think of uh, any other alternatives to sugar uh, that do not contain uh, erythritol? Uh, yeah, you know, and there's all kinds of uh, out there that are artificial and all, that are also, you know, the more natural products, but they're concentrated, like stevia and monk fruit. Those two are my favorites. You know, they're considered safe. You know, who who knows? God only knows, you know, what later studies might show on those. So I think my bottom line would be, and in my own personal opinion, for people who have problems with too much sugar, uh, I, uh, my recommendations are probably if they, if they want to do this stevia or monk fruit, but even with those, to use them in very small quantities uh, because – these researchers were estimating some Americans maybe get up to 30 grams of, of uh, erythritol a day, and a packet of one of the common stevia sweeteners has, has two grams in it. So it would be the equivalent of like 15 packets a day. So I'd say if you're using any kind of sugar substitute, if you decide to do that, even there, moderate it. Do not go overboard. Which uh, it ties in to uh, the theme of uh, fasting and abstinence, uh, controlling what you eat here uh, during this Lenten season. You know, a lot of folks do all kinds of different uh, corporal mortifications, uh, such as no sweets, no salt uh, in, in their meals. Obviously, we fast on Ash Wednesday and, and Good Friday and abstain from meat on Fridays. Can you talk about uh, some of these uh, corporal mortifications uh, not, that can help us spiritually uh, not just physically. And, uh, you know, always a reminder that our bodies really are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, you know, it shows, it shows the wisdom of the Church with its recommendations for fasting, because, of course, and foremost of importance, it, it, raises, it helps us spiritually. It raises our minds towards the higher thing of God. And I know some of the great uh, Church saints and fathers have said that when we fast during Lent, you know, we're, we're raising our minds to that ultimate event of Christ's resurrection at Easter, so we're preparing for that. We're removing ourselves from worldly, physical, bodily distractions. So, so fasting helps you know, kind of tame the body 
as we move the spirit towards towards Christ's uh, resurrection. But then also, you know, God made us as as a mind, body, soul, body uh, integration, you know, a synthesis there. So when we fast to lift ourselves spiritually, it also can improve our, our physicality and even our mental functioning. You know, our bodies were crafted in such a way that it's actually even physically, uh, intellectually healthy for us at times to go without food or to restrict our time uh, between our meals so that our body can carry out the, the natural functions that it can to, to restore and improve our health. There are uh, people who claim that uh, when they fast that their mind is actually sharper um, and more clear. Uh, is this uh, one of the side benefits uh, of fasting in terms of one's body? Yeah, yes, it is. Many people report that. And, John, to some extent, I've noted it myself. When I was on a diet where I ate very, very frequently and had a lot of simple sugars, it seemed like I needed to eat every couple hours to be mentally sharp. If I was going to go on the radio or give a talk, I, oh, I had to make sure I've had something recently. But, but now that I've changed that, become much less dependent on sugar, eat far less frequently, I find that I can be very mentally sharp if it's been, you know, six or eight hours or, or more since the last meal because your body does adapt in such a way that, that your, your brain and, and systems run better uh, on fat. And most of us, you know, almost all of us have a whole lot of fat in our bodies that can be productively used as energy if we keep from, you know, constantly feeding ourselves uh, we can call that fat into play to to nourish us, and uh, and of course there's a difference between uh, fasting uh, with a spiritual uh, perspective and just dieting uh, just for the sake of improving your body. If if you do it for the Lord, if you unite uh, that mortification uh, with Jesus, who Himself fasted for forty days and forty nights in, in the desert, uh, then I think that that's that's a good way to go. No, exactly, because, you know, it, it is a sense of, of, a, of a penance, of a satisfaction for our sins. We're mortifying our bodies, you know. We're following Christ's example, the example of the great saints and the wisdom of the Church. So there's, fasting is going to benefit foremost spiritually, and, you know, thanks be to God, to some extent it will help us physically and mentally as well. Do you think uh, that uh, perhaps a, a good Lenten resolution could be, in light of this uh, new study on the sweeteners, uh, to uh, just— don't use sweetener uh, the rest of the way here uh, in Lent, especially in your coffee. Um, that it could be a, a good way to uh, to um, to uh, you know do do your part in Lent and uh, at the same time uh, avoid any of these potential threats that they're, they're claiming in the study. No, I think John, that's exactly right. And again, both spiritually uh, uh, and physically, you know, we're mortifying our body. We're saying no to ourselves for that simple pleasure. And even physiologically, it's been shown when, when people move away from highly sweetened products, you tend to lose your taste for them actually over time. So what starts as a mortification, and rightly so, a person may find later on this is really not that difficult to do because our bodies have adapted to being nourished, you know, kind of the way that God intended, just with normal food. So I think that is a very good suggestion to, to reduce or completely eliminate perhaps these sweeteners, you know, during the rest of Atlanta and find out the spiritual and physical effects. Uh, Becky is uh, joining us this morning from Austin, Texas. Uh, Becky, uh, good morning. Welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Dr. Kevin Bost. Oh, good morning. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, I'm looking at the back of my organic um, uh, stevia bottle, and it says it just says water, organic alcohol, organic stevia leaf extract, citric acid, 
And I was just wondering if erythritol has any other names. You know, um, this is, you know, it's organic um, uh, stevia. Mm-hmm. Is it a liquid? It's a liquid extract from stevia leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you asked about other names, and sometimes uh, a label might say uh, sugar alcohols, and there are different ones. There's erythritol, there's uh, xylitol, there's mannitol. So it's possible if the label just says sugar alcohols, it may be erythritol. From the list you've given me, unless I'm mistaken, I believe citric acid is, is uh, you know, it's, it's, a different, it's a different chemical from erythritol. So from what you described to me, just, you know, based on my, my limited knowledge, uh, I do not believe it sounds like that product has, has erythritol. And in general, when I've seen liquid forms of, of stevia, I have, I, I've looked at several of those and I did not find uh, erythritol to be a component. Becky, thanks so much uh, for uh, joining us uh, this morning. Dr. Vost, uh, we're just about out of time. Real quick, how can our listeners uh, get your book, You Are That Temple, A Catholic Guide to Health and Holiness? Well, that's from Sophia Institute Press, so sophiainstitute.com, or if you have a local uh, Catholic bookstore, maybe they have it or can get it. Dr. Vost, thanks so much uh, for being with us. Really appreciate uh, your perspective. Oh, it's always my pleasure. Thank you. God bless. God bless you, too. Catholic author and clinical psychologist, Dr. Kevin Vost, the author of You Are That Temple. We need to take a short break. When we come back, our Rome correspondent, Ashley Norono, will uh, bring Rome to home for the latest news on the Holy Father from the Vatican. Stay with us. There is much more to come uh, on this first day of March, this Wednesday morning, here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio. Quando si parla dell'Italia Si sentono suonare i mandolini and welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning, the first Wednesday and the first day of the month of March here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. As you can tell, now it's time to bring Rome to home for the latest news from the Vatican. We go live to the Eternal City, and our Rome correspondent, Ashley Norona. Ashley and her husband, John, founded the Truth and Beauty Project in Rome, where they take people from knowing their faith to setting their hearts on fire, with talks, tours, and spiritual direction, all centered on scripture, art, and beauty. They even have a special track to evangelize young people. Visit truthandbeautyproject.com. You can find out how you can make your life a virtual masterpiece in just one week with John and Ashley in Rome. Good morning, Ashley. Buongiorno. Thanks so much for joining us once again from Roma. Happy March. Oh, thank you so much. Buon marzo to you, John. Well, Ashley, um, there's no um, Wednesday audience for the Holy Father this mm. morning. Tell us about uh, yes. the Holy Father's Papal Lenten Retreat, which uh, this time around includes the Roman Curia. 
Yes, exactly. In fact, Pope Francis, as well as cardinals and bishops and other members of the Curia are currently on their annual Lenten spiritual exercises retreat right now. So it began on Sunday, on the 26th, right after the Holy Father prayed the Angelus in St. Peter's Square. And it will continue until the 3rd of March. And during this time, all Typical work activities have been suspended for the Pope and the superiors of the Roman Curia. Now, this is the third year in a row that Pope Francis and the Curia will do this Lenten retreat on an individual basis and in a personal way, as the Vatican has said. Uh, the last two years, that was because of COVID. And uh, although for Pope Francis, this is this would be his fourth year of doing it on his own since in 2020, he had a very bad cold and was not able to participate with the rest of the Curia in the retreat house in Aricha, uh, which was where the spiritual exercises had been held starting in Lent of 2014. So John, this practice of the Pope going on a Lenten retreat with the heads of the Vatican dicasteries, it actually goes back about 90 years. It was under Pope Pius XI that the practice began. And of course it's modeled on various saints uh, taking time to to uh, during Lent to go deep into their spiritual journeys by having times of, of silence and prayer. In fact, St. Francis of Assisi would go to uh, a hermitage for 40 days and then at the end of it, go back down into the valley and continue on his, his spiritual works after Easter. So the idea is that uh, the the example of St. Francis of Assisi and so many other saints can inspire us all to go deeper into prayer, especially silent prayer on our Lenten journeys, John. Ashley, um, do we have any idea if uh, this retreat uh, is a silent retreat uh, modeled after the Ignatians retreats of uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, of course, with the Holy Father being a Jesuit? Yes, exactly. So each uh, each official is doing uh, handling the retreat in his own personal way. So it will vary from uh, from person to person. So we'll see if they, they let us know any more about their individual journeys and what it looks like. Super interesting that, that even the Holy Father, uh, the successor of St. Peter, needs to take some time uh, in an mm-hmm. annual retreat uh, here during Lent and, uh, and unite himself uh, to walking uh, the Lenten journey with our Lord Jesus. Yes, exactly. And of course, that is what Christ did before the start of every new part of his mission. He took time in silent prayer. And so that's what we're all being called to do as we prepare during these 40 days of Lent for the death and resurrection of our Lord. And so uh, Pope Francis will will not have uh, another public event uh, until this coming Sunday with the Angelus uh, again? Uh, yes. And so then he will be back on back in the public with the Angelus, as well as the people audience next week will go on as normal. Uh, meanwhile, uh, pizza is in the news uh, in Italy. What is going yes. on with the, uh, the drought and how is it affecting uh, Italian pizza, which I have had a, uh, a taste of? Uh, you can find pizza just about in every corner in Roma. 
Yes, it's so true. Well, and and to your point, John, pizza seems to always be in the news around here. Uh, but pizza makers have specifically sounded the alarm right now because uh, at this point of the, the year, at a time when water supplies in the country of Italy typically are plentiful. They are all, the country is already suffering with water shortages. So the Italian Alps have a snow water equivalent deficit right now of 53%. And that's compared to the average of the last 10 years. And then in the Po River Valley, which is really the breadbasket of the country, this is the, the longest river in Italy. The water level right now is 61% less than normal. Well, in the meantime, Italy's pizza makers are, are sounding the alarm about this because uh, the this means that the crop damage from the drought is leading to a reduction of essential pizza ingredients. So that means olive oil, tomatoes, as well as flour. Now, John, to give you an idea, there's about 2.7 billion pizzas baked in this country every single year. So wow. that to put it into perspective, there's about four and a half million pounds of flour that has to be used, five million pounds of mozzarella, there's 6.5 million pounds of olive oil, and another 5.7 million pounds of tomato sauce. So despite um, th this, yes. So imagine that this 15 billion euro a year industry is very concerned about the situation. But John, I do have to tell you that uh, even with all of this going on, there is one Neapolitan pizza maker right now who is celebrating a bit after getting, believe it or not, a presidential nod because this past Sunday, uh, the U.S. First Lady Jill Biden was flying from Kenya back to Washington, D.C., and the, the flight made a quick stop off at, Nabl at Naples Air Base. And from the plane, her entourage ordered uh, 19 pizzas from a local pizzeria. So uh, imagine that the, the restaurant owner actually made the pizzas himself, delivered them to the military base, did not realize who it was for, but was very pleased when he later received a photograph uh, from the plane <laughs> with the message pizzas on board. So uh, they're, they're, he's definitely doing a little bit of celebrating in Naples right now. Wow. What a, what a great uh, story. Uh, now you being an American, what's the difference between American pizza and the pizza that the Italian popoli, the folks are used to? Well, there's there's various differences. For example, Ita Italian pizzas tend to have less ingredients. So in the U.S., we you know we put on lots and lots of sauce and sausage and all of these things. Here, they're a bit more of purists. But I will say that to this day, Italian pizziolos, which are the which means pizza makers, they cringe when they hear about certain ingredients that we put on pizza. And the worst offender. Pineapple. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it as you, you just started to say it. Oh my goodness. Yes. Actually, that's kind of unthinkable. I'm, I'm not a big fan that's of right. the idea of pineapple on my pizza. So um, <laughs> really we'll have to keep an eye and see how that all develops uh, with the, uh, the pizza shortage. Uh, meanwhile, um, a mafia crime boss has created his own mission impossible. Uh, what's all oh, that boy. about? 
Yes. Well, John, first of all, I have to tell you that you're bringing up Mission Impossible. Uh, right yesterday in Puglia, Italy, Tom Cruise, who is the, the star of the Mission Impossible series, was spotted boarding a helicopter in Bari, heading to an unknown destination to film for the latest uh, his latest Mission Impossible film, which is number eight. So it's believed that he is going to be filming a scene where he lands on an aircraft carrier. But meanwhile, a, a, a real live mafia crime boss from Puglia has managed to pull off what we could call a real life mission impossible. His name is Marco Raduano. He's 39 years old. And he was in jail in Sardinia serving 19 years for various mafia crimes. Well, he actually managed to get a key for the courtyard of the prison that he was in. While everyone slept, he went to the courtyard, threw over the wall all several tied-up bed sheets, and then he climbed up and let himself down over the exterior wall. So he scaled about 16 and a half feet. Now, I've seen the internal prison video. It's really quite fascinating. He, he sort of falls to the ground and then runs as fast as anything from there. There are also video shots of him going to get the key for the door. First, he actually took the wrong one from upstairs, then went back up and took the right key for the armored door in the courtyard. Uh, it turns out the video was on, but the room was unmanned at that hour. So it's thought that uh, he did manage to make his getaway because it was another two hours before the guards awoke to define to find that he was gone. So right now, a manhunt is on. There's also investigation of the prison, as you can imagine. And so it seems like an escape right out of a movie set. I was and just thinking that. It sounds like a movie yeah, script, for sure. It really does. It really does. So we, we pray that uh, this mafia boss is caught right away. Uh, and, we and we got a, a quick justice. 30 seconds, just a, a mm -hmm. quick thought on uh, the uh, Italian opera that now you can actually watch oh, uh, in the comfort of yeah. your own home. Yes, exactly. Right from your couch. So opera lovers can enjoy La Scala TV. It's La Scala TV, And that comes straight from the famed opera house in Milan. You can watch special content with operas, ballets, concerts, and it's open for people all over the world to take a little virtual trip right to the heart of Milan, to that famed opera theater, and enjoy some Italian culture from your home, John. The next best thing to being in Milan. Ashley, yes. as always, uh, grazie, grazie. Thanks so much uh, for being with us. Oh, it's a blessing to be here. Have a wonderful day. You too. Ashley Narona, our Rome correspondent uh, who joins us every Wednesday from the Eternal City. You can listen to her reports on the Relevant Radio app. Just go to Relevant in Rome. We need to take a short break. When Morning Air continues, a Catholic speaker and author Lisa Cotter will explain living the feminine genius in Women's History Month here in the month of March. Stay with us. There's more to come after this short break. Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales, Sarah Tafoya, and Glenn Leverett. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. It's good to be with you on this Wednesday morning in the first week of Lent as we begin the month of March. Our power scripture, as we do every morning from the Playbook of Life, is from Romans 8.28. The Apostle St. Paul writes, We know that in everything God works for good 
with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that all things happen for the good of those who love God. During uh, difficult and trying times, we have to have a spiritual perspective. Nothing happens in the world without the will of God. The Lord is the Lord of the universe. Nothing happens without either his direct will or his permitting will. This is what we call divine providence. And we have to have faith that our Lord Jesus Christ does not abandon us and he's always with us. Do not hesitate to go to Mary, our mother, who always leads us to her son, Jesus the Lord. And we pray with great confidence from the chapel of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. I want to switch gears and talk about an issue that is relevant to uh, all the women and all the mothers out there, and that is the feminine genius. Have you ever wondered if you're doing the whole uh, womanhood thing correctly? In the words of uh, St. Pope John Paul II, uh, necessary emphasis should be placed on the genius of women, not only by considering great and famous women of the past or present, but also those ordinary women who reveal the gift of their womanhood by placing themselves at the service of others in their everyday lives. For in giving themselves to others each day, women fulfill their deepest vocation. Those are the words, the powerful words of JP2. And the question is, what does that mean for women in this day and age? How is the feminine genius uh, the essence of being a woman? I spoke uh, to leading Catholic speaker and author Lisa Cotter about living the feminine genius uh, here in uh, uh, Women's History Month in March. Uh, Lisa is the author of the book, Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius, available at Ascension Press. Here's my conversation with Lisa Cotter. Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to Morning Air for the first time. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you this morning. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us uh, um, about your inspiration for writing this book and uh, and exactly your your message. You 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 tell us exactly what what the feminine genius is all about. Yes. So the book itself was um, it sprang from an invitation from Focus about ten years ago to give a conference at their Seek conference, which is their national student conference, and they said, "Could you give a talk on authentic femininity?" And I thought, oh my, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know what that is. I'm kind of afraid of what the church says about that. What if what they say isn't what I want? And I'm like, oh no, now, now what do I do? So I wrestled with the idea a little bit, but I agreed to do it um, because I love focus that much. We were missionaries at the time. I said, okay, okay, I'll dive in. And what I found really surprised me in a beautiful way. I was actually relieved. I was excited. And so I got up, I gave that talk, and then just kind of snowballed from there. So it really sprang out of my need to understand better my femininity, what the church taught, and then realizing how beautiful the words of the church are and wanting to be able to share it with the world. And I think there's a lot of confusion really around this concept of the feminine genius because JP to himself never defined it. And so I think sometimes we think that what people have said about it, oh, that's church doctrine, when when in reality, there's, this isn't doctrine, this is JP two reflecting on the beauty of womanhood, reflecting on the gifts that women bring into the world. And he's asked us really to ruminate about it, to um, spend some time considering what he has said and considering our experiences to discover what it is that, that God was going after when he created two genders, male and female. And so I think the easiest way to define this feminine genius to sum it up is this idea that it's a person-oriented disposition of woman, right? So this genius has to do with the unique feminine way that women relate to 
humanity. And that definition, that summation I get from Sister Prudence Allen, who's just an amazing philosopher who's written so much on gender. She's a, a philosopher of gender. And she, um, she and her book kind of defined it that way. And then from that nature that we have as women, that, that disposition that God has given us, blow these gifts. And I think that's what usually people jump to is just talking about, oh, it's the gifts of being a woman, which is true. But I think we need to first understand that it's flowing from a nature in which God created us. You mentioned that there's been a little bit of confusion about what it really means, the, the feminine genius. I, I've got to believe that some women might ask the question, does it have anything to do with feminism? Yes, that's a good question. I think that, you know, John Paul II himself talked about this idea of this new feminism and this need for us to um, have a a feminism that is authentic and real and rooted in a person's worth and value and dignity. And so we have to kind of separate out radical feminism, which we see in our world today, you know, when you look on the other side of the pendulum, um, from this idea that, yes, we can support women, yes, we can say that there are gifts that need to be, um, and rights and, and values, right, that need to be um, given to women. Um, but we, we don't need to do it in a way that's hostile, that's angry, that's um, accusatory, but in a way that is, is true to the nature of women and in a way that is joyful, bringing that joy in of what the church says about the gift of womanhood, because there's a complementarity, right? There's a complementarity between men and women, that helps, as JP2 would say, makes the world more human when it's fully and authentically lived out. I wanted to dive into some of the keys uh, from your perspective uh, to understanding the feminine genius. Yes, that's a great question. Well, JP2 called it vitally essential. So it's a pretty important thing that we bring this genius into the world. And I think one of the reasons he felt that way, the way he described it, is that women see people with their hearts. He said, you know, women more than men have a tendency, have this this innate understanding that people are people. And so the way that we approach the world, the way that we approach people is, first of all, seeing them in their worth and their value and their dignity as opposed to seeing, you know, okay, how can they be useful to me or what kind of gain can I get from them? But we see, we see them as God created them to be. And I think part of that and the key to understanding, or one of the keys, I think, is that we have this receptive nature and this maternal nature that's, you know, been written on our bodies. JP2 talked about this a lot in his um, theology of the body, this idea, you know, that women were created with this ability to receive and this ability to mother. And what's beautiful about this is that whether or not a woman ever becomes a physical mother, she has all the gifts needed to mother the world because she has this space in her to welcome somebody, to receive somebody. And so whether or not she becomes a physical mother, she is called and has this ability to mother the world in a sense, to be able to take care of the world. And so JP2 talks about how women in a unique and special way have been entrusted with humanity. And so as women, we we are able to um, humanize the world, is one one way JP2 talks about it, in the way in which... um, we, we go about our lives, go about our days, go about our interactions with others. Lisa, I think you are just so right about women uh, seeing people with their hearts. In fact, I think that for the men that are listening, men can learn from women and especially learn from the example of the Blessed Mother uh, about, you know, really having a good heart. I think we can learn a lot from, um, from women in this regard. 
Yes, and that's so important. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's Pope Benedict who, who draws out when he was Cardinal Ratzinger in his um, document on um, the collaboration of men and women in the church and society, I think is what it is. It's a long title. But he talked about how these, these values, as he called them, are not exclusive to women. He said, you know, they're above all their human values. We're all called to these different gifts that we see women bringing into the world, but women are what he called the privileged sign of these gifts. So we're the ones who are called to model this to the world and to model to the men in our lives how to live these gifts. So some of the other gifts that I pulled out, and there's not an exclusive list. J.P. Duke didn't give a list of, okay, here's the aspects of the feminine genius, right? Um, but when you read his documents, you can see some of these words kind of come to life and, and rise to the surface. And, and so some of these words, like I'm thinking of generosity, right? So so because women are kind of the privileged sign of generosity, it doesn't mean that men aren't called to be generous. <laughs> it doesn't mean, you know, that, oh, well, the women do that, so men, you don't have to do that. No, not at all, because it's a part of the human experience. Men, too, are called to, to live these in their complementary masculine feminine way, and women get to kind of be the uh, like the beacon, the light of what that looks like. And then vice versa, men have certain gifts that they're called to model to women, um, to how here's how we live these particular you know more masculine genius gifts although jp2 never talked about the masculine genius but we can draw from that and understand that there's a complementarity uh, side to that as well absolutely uh, women can also uh, be uh, very courageous you know some of the great uh, women in history have had tremendous courage absolutely yes you know i've i've been thinking about this a lot as we're watching um, what's going on in the world right now just the courage of the women of Ukraine and the generosity of the women of Poland. There's this beautiful picture of the, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but there, there's a train station. There's all these empty strollers just sitting at the I train station. I saw it. Waiting. I saw it. Oh my goodness. It was, it was heart wrenching to see that image. Yes, it was. Yeah. But then to see and recognize like that's women who, you know, are, are taking care of the world right there using their maternal gift. You know, these aren't children that, you know, in a way I guess they are, but they're mothers, they're mothers taking care of mothers. Um, and welcoming them, you know, and, I, and then I think of, you know, the women of World War II, you know, the strength that it took for them to be able to keep their families and the faith alive as, as many of their brothers, husbands, fathers, sons were off fighting the war. And here they were using this interior strength to hold on. As, as there was an exterior strength going on to fight the war across the ocean. It reminds me, you mentioned uh, St. Edith Stein uh, earlier, uh, Sister Benedicta. Uh, just uh, uh, amazing uh, uh, examples of women throughout the centuries, going all the way back to St. Joan of Arc. Uh, you, you name them, there's been so many great women, and probably, the not probably, without a doubt, the greatest of them all, the Blessed Virgin Mary, our Blessed Mother. That's right. Yes, Mary, um, JP2 said of her, you know, she is the example of the feminine genius. If you ever want to know, you know, what does it mean to be a woman? What does it look like? How do we live authentically? Mary is going to be our primary example. And I love that the Gospels give us so many opportunities to see her heart, to see her life, to see her gifts lived out in, in so many of the stories that are highlighted, especially those infancy narratives of Luke, um, getting to see her at the wedding feast at Cana and getting to see her at the cross. There's so much we can draw from that models us, demonstrates us. Here's how to do it. Here's how we become the women that God created us to be. 
and many of, of the great saints in our history, uh, like uh, St. Zelie Martin, St. Rita, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Joan of Arc. These are all uh, women who modeled the Blessed Mother, and uh, they had some of those traits, uh, that, which is exactly what made them great, what made them saints. That's right, yeah, yeah. And in my book, what I do is I take these different gifts. I picked out eight of them that I saw JP2 speak about frequently, and I give the gift, and then I give an example of a female saint and how she lived that strength well, how she modeled it to us. And then the next thing in the chapter is we look at, okay, so we have this great gift, but how can it go wrong? Because sometimes our greatest gifts can become our weaknesses. And then what do we do about it? How do we use that example from that, that saint, that holy woman, to show us okay, here's, here's truly what this means to live generosity or to, to live our intuition or to live our maternity or our, our fidelity, another word that JP2 drawed out. And that was my conversation with Catholic speaker and author Lisa Cotter. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Whose Light Are You Following? A woman was driving home one night. The weather was really nasty. Rain was coming down in buckets. Visibility was very poor. Seeing taillights ahead of her, she followed the car in front. Not being able to see, the car in front seemed to be going in the right direction, so she stuck with it. All of a sudden, the car in front of her came to a stop. She began to wonder what had happened. Perhaps the car in front had hit a deer or something like that. She began to feel uncomfortable, thinking being stopped in the middle of the road can often lead to accidents. Much to her alarm, the car in front of her turned off their lights. Her concern was now growing as well as her anger, and then she was startled by a knocking on her window. She looked up, and there was a man standing in the pouring rain wanting to speak to her. She cracked the window open and asked the man what the problem was. The man replied by stating that he was going to ask her the same question. Well, she reported and retorted that, well, she wasn't the one who'd stopped in the middle of the road and turned off the car lights. The man's reply... Well, they were not in the middle of the road, but in his driveway. Obviously, this woman had chosen the wrong leader to follow. She'd chosen a leader who would not take her to where she wanted and needed to go. She'd chosen the wrong leader and the wrong road. From John 14:6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Stay with us. There's much more to come next hour.